Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. My name is Dane Kramer, and I want to thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to know more about me or this podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. That will take you to my website. There you can listen to all previously released podcasts. You can interact with them there. You can make comments if you uh, like something or dislike something. There are some other links on the website that will lead you to other resources on uh, on my page. Just uh, feel free to help yourself there. And uh, don't forget to subscribe. You can do that just going to the home page, clicking or putting your name and your email address in it, then clicking the subscribe button, and you should get notifications every time a new podcast is released. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast from uh, Google Play, from Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or just simply download your favorite podcasting app, do a search, there find uh, the Thinking Christian Podcast, and uh, subscribe from it there. That way when new ones are released, you will get it. If you don't know anything about this podcast, um, my name is Dan Kramer. I've been an investigator now for about 35 years, and I like to take my my approach to work uh, from an, an investigative standpoint and apply that to my faith. Uh, if it if it's not reasonable, if it's not logical, if it's not if it doesn't make sense, then it probably doesn't make sense, and that's the way I approach my faith. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and so uh, the Thinking Christian podcast is just to approach the issues of life and God, the Bible, the world through a Christian perspective, of course, but doing it reasonably and logically, the best that I know how. But if I make a mistake and if I say something that you disagree with, say it. I mean, maybe that's the way I'll learn something. Maybe uh, my own blind spots uh, get in the way at times, and I'm sure they do, and I could err. But uh, that's why you're here. You can correct me in my error. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. I want to talk about whether or not Jesus is literally present in the Eucharist. Now, when I say Eucharist, I'm talking about the elements that are used in communion, um, the, or yeah, yeah, the elements, uh, in spe- specifically the elements, whether Jesus is specifically in those elements. The Eucharist is a, another word for communion or maybe uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Holy Communion, however you want to say it. This is a sacrament that uh, almost all Christians universally participate in. Uh, there are different methods, different ways of doing it, and there are different beliefs surrounding what is occurring, if anything, during the Lord's Supper or during the Eucharist. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. Maybe you haven't given it much thought, and uh, so this might be able to, uh, in fact, maybe you, you've only thought there's only your view, and everybody must hold your view to it. So I want to talk about the various views that are held out there and, um, and you know, walk through them the best we can. Now, you know, our, our theological views are not something like, you know, you get at Walmart. It's not like you take your shopping cart down the aisle of theological views and pick out the one that appeals most to you and say, I, I really like this one. Now, this is the view that I prefer, and therefore I'm going to go with this one. That's not the way we do it, or that's not the way it should be done. Rather, what we should do is, is you know, look at the scriptural support for each of these views and see which one makes the most sense, see what has the most support and, and go with that one, irrespective of how we feel, irrespective perhaps of even the traditions that have been passed to us. I mean, not completely irrespective of those, but but I, I think scripture, if it's clear on some subjects, then it may even override at times the traditions that have been passed down. So, 
Okay, well, let's look at it. Um, you know, Jesus in the upper room in Luke 22, he took the bread. And it says when he gave thanks, he broke it and he gave to it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, of course, the stage in which this was all set was the um, uh, Passover meal, Jesus' last Passover meal. The Passover meal was a meal celebrated by the, our, our Jewish uh, friends, uh, since way back, uh, leaving Egypt, way back in the Old Testament, Jews have celebrated it annually ever since. And Jesus, of course, celebrated it with his disciples. And yet, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was arrested, he kind of, I don't want to say changed the meaning, but he introduced something completely new uh, to his disciples. And he broke tradition a little bit. Uh, when, he, when he picked up the, the bread, he said, this is my body. And probably as he broke it, he said, you know, this body is broken for you. And as you eat it, and as you drink the cup, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Now, the question is, what does that mean? Well, let me start with our Roman Catholic friends. Um, Roman Catholic uh, doctrine would suggest that the, what we'll call the wafer, the bread, uh, is the body of Jesus. The cup the juice or the wine, is the blood of Jesus. Now, when I say is, what what they mean is that it literally is. That as the priest, and and this is an important function of the priest in the Roman Catholic Church, as the priest blesses these elements, that the bread mysteriously becomes the body of Christ. And the cup literally becomes, the juice literally becomes the blood of Christ that they don't represent the body and blood, but they become, they are the body and blood. I think they would argue, yes, it's sure, it tastes like bread and it tastes like wine or juice or whatever is being used, but they are that. They, they have become that. As the priest blessed those, they are literally the body and literally the blood of Christ. And this, this uh, doctrinal uh, viewpoint has a name. It's called uh, transubstantiation. That's the name given to it. And it really means that, that there's a transformation of these substances. It's transubstantiated so that the, the wafer becomes, it, it, it it's entirely becomes the body of Christ and the blood becomes, it's in its entirely, it's, it's transformed into the blood of Christ that the cup is. Now, this is held by the Roman Catholic verse, uh, Roman Catholic Church, really based on the passage that I just read, that when Jesus said, this is my body, that he meant it. When he held up the bread and said, this is my body. When he held up the cup, this is my blood, or this is the, the blood of the new covenant. And the word is, the Roman Catholic Church would argue, means is. Um, this is, uh, when, when Jesus said that, he meant it. For example, if I uh, held up my hand and said, this is my hand, it would mean that this is literally my hand. The word literally is kind of implied there. If Jesus held up the wafer or the bread and said, this is the, my body, it would be implied that this is literally my body. This is literally my uh, blood. And I, I suppose on one level, level that makes sense. Uh, you know, why not take Jesus at his word if that's what he meant? 
That's the way we should understand it, of course. But the question is, is that really what Jesus meant? Did he literally mean that when he said, this is my body, this is my blood? Did he intend for us to take it literally in that way? Well, to answer that question, we have to understand a little bit of how language is used, especially how it's used in the Bible. And we see in many occasions that the Bible, though it says things which are true and and right, they're not always taken in a literal sense. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. Now, that sounds like a literal command. It sounds very straightforward. He's not using poetic language, it sounds. And so it would seem that he's saying, if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye caused you to sin, pluck it out. Um, that would seem direct. I mean, it, you know, it's very, it, it's, it's very straightforward language. And yet, I don't think anybody uh, would recognize that as being a direct command of Jesus. It's a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. Uh, it's meant to drive home a point. Uh, this means sin is very serious and a person needs to do whatever they can do, uh, even if very radical, to, to eradicate sin from their lives. Even though the language might sound like you're to mutilate yourself, it's not the intent. But what about the word is? Because that's, that's where we're focused on here. When Jesus said, this is my body, does he mean it literally? Is this literally the body and blood of Jesus? Well, I think, and I've heard it argued by Roman Catholic apologists, that the word is means is. I mean, straightforward, simple, there should be no question about it. When Jesus said, this is something, then it really is. We should take him literally. But the problem is, is we can't apply that method of understanding to every passage of Scripture where the word is appears. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, or excuse me, Ma Ma Gospel of Mark, I think it's also in Matthew, um, Jesus' friends and, or excuse me, Jesus' family was just outside the door on one occasion, and word got to him that your mother and your brothers are here to see you. And Jesus kind of paused and he asked the crowd, "Who is my mother and brothers? And who is my family?" And then he kind of answers his own question. He said, "Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother." Now, interesting, he used the word "is." He said, "Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven." is my brother, is my sister, and is my mother. Now, in that particular case, do we take the word is literally? Does the word is mean is there? If I do the will of my Father in heaven, am I the blessed mother of Jesus Mary? Is that who I am? Well, if we take this, this method of interpretation across the board and use it consistently, we would have to say, yes, that I am. I am the Blessed Virgin Mary because I do the will of my Father. Let's assume that one is true. Um, and, and obviously, that's absurd. Uh, that's not what Jesus intended, uh, and that, that can't be what that means. But that should also tell us that we can't apply this everywhere and that the word is doesn't always mean is literally. Uh, and, I, and I think we can see this just in the way we use the language ourselves. If I were to show you a photograph and say, this is my wife, does that mean that I've married to a, I'm married to a two-dimensional three-by-five image? I mean, no. Uh, this represents my wife. If I were to pull out a map and show you the town in which I live and the roads that lead into it, I might say, and this is Route 219. Now, does that mean that that little red line on a paper map is the actual highway that you know if you want to go somewhere you get on that map and drive of course not 
Uh, that word is means represents. This, this red line here, it represents Route 219 or, or whatever road we're talking about. And so sometimes the word is does mean literally. I could hold up my hand and say, this is my hand, and I mean that literally. But other times I might say, this is my wife, and I'm holding up a photograph. And so we have to let the context, we have to let the uh, uh, what's going on help us understand whether that word is literal or whether it, it's pointing to something figurative. But how do we answer that question? How, how do we know if the word is, in this context, is literal? Maybe, maybe Jesus did mean it literally, or maybe he meant it figuratively. How do we understand? Well, first of all, I think we have to take a look at the context. Uh, in the, the, the Last Supper uh, that we're talking about was a celebration of Passover, as I've already mentioned. And if you're a Jew sitting there uh, at Passover... Every year you would have heard the host stand up and, and, and lift the bread up and say, this is the bread which our fathers ate uh, in Egypt, Some, something to that effect. Now, I think that most Jews would have recognized that this bread was not left over for like 2,000 years or wherever the case may be from Egypt. That the, and, and this bread had not been eaten by their fathers, <clears throat> excuse me, but this bread represents that unleavened bread that their fathers ate. So I think the... the, the uh, most reasonable way to understand it is this is figurative. When the host holds it up, this is the bread that our fathers ate uh, in, in Egypt, meaning this is this is represents that bread. This is not that leftover bread. And so that would probably set the stage for a figurative understanding of what Jesus said. But I think there's something else more direct that would help us understand that. In, in Luke chapter 22, after um, or when Jesus offered the cup of wine, he held it up and he said that this was his blood and he said, and I quote, which is shed for you. That's verse uh, 20 of Luke 22. This is his blood, which is shed for you. Now for that to be literally true, that would mean that Jesus was at that moment literally shedding his blood. Uh, the, The tense is present. This is shed for you. And for, again, that to be literally true, Jesus would have to have been bleeding at that very moment. But uh, he wasn't that we know of. There's no reason to believe that that was actually taking place. And so I believe that the default understanding of this passage is that this cup represents the blood which is shed or will be shed for you. It isn't that blood, but it represents that blood to be shed. And so even though Jesus was using present tense, he was talking figuratively about something that was going to happen, that it was not yet happening, but was very soon to happen. And I believe that that sort of tilts the scales toward a figurative understanding of the elements being used for communion. Now, one of the arguments that's often used against a figurative understanding of communion, in other words, that, that the, the bread and the cup, they, they merely represent the body and blood of Jesus, is that, well, if they represent it, you're not taking it as serious or that they are less important to you than those perhaps who take it as literally the bread, uh, excuse me, literally the body and blood of Jesus. Yet I believe this argument is it makes a really well, is a very poor understanding of of this. Just because something is seen as figurative or representing something else doesn't mean that it's taken less serious. 
Um, to illustrate this, the next time that you're at a 4th of July parade, why don't you pull out the American flag and burn it there on the street? Uh, if, if, if things that are just symbolic, if things that are just um, yeah, symbolically understood, no one would pay attention. No one would care that you're burning an American flag because you're not really burning America. You're just burning what stands for America, right? It has no value. It has no understanding. It has no significance in the lives of the people around you, correct? Well, absolutely not uh, because people do see the symbol of something as really being almost as important as that thing itself. Or another example, uh, let's say you're a man and you're, you're leaving with your friends, or you could be a woman, yeah, a woman works as well. You're leaving with your friends for a night and you tell your spouse, hey, I'm going to go ahead and just take my wedding band off and set it on the table. You know, I don't want to get in the way tonight or get it dirty. And I'm going to go out with my friends without you, but I'm going to leave my band here. And after all, it's just a symbol. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything to e- either of us. We can we can certainly leave. It's just a piece of jewelry, for goodness sake, right? Well, no one would agree with that because uh, we see the wedding band as something that's very significant. And to to leave it to leave that symbol behind as you're going out to do something like that um, would be suggesting to say that. I don't care about the marriage. And that's very, very significant. And so uh, to uh, suggest that a symbol of something else has no value is really just kind of misunderstanding the importance of it. Well, you know, the bottom line for me is I don't know really what's at stake in this question. You know, whether you believe that it is really the body and really the blood of Christ or whether you see it's symbolic or maybe you see it's sort of a combination of the two, I, I guess it, in the long run it, it doesn't matter. You can take communion, uh, believing that, it's, that it literally is the body and blood of Christ, or you can take communion and believe that it represents it and still live a good Christian life. It doesn't make you necessarily a better or worse follower of Jesus. In fact, I think taking communion would be absolutely meaningless in either of those two cases if you fail to love your brother and your enemy, if you fail to follow Jesus. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, as Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, but what comes out. And with that, I'm going to sign off on another podcast. Hope to see you next time on the Thinking Christian Podcast.